Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, May 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Um, Probably by now over 60 very carefully curated podcasts, a wide variety of topics, definitely worth your while. I also want to continue to remind you to check out the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can establish a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative, uh, a trustworthy alternative within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Uh, it'll give you a much more a much more thorough description than I just gave you, and then we would ask you ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us, and we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right, we're going to get into our Bible reading for this morning, and then we're going to continue on in our study of John for for this evening. So this morning, uh, we're going to go ahead and open up. Oops, sorry clicked on the wrong square. There we go. We're going to go ahead and open up this morning with our third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the Holy Scriptures, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name. Make mention of his righteousness only. Plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander. Hedge up our way. Excite in us abhorrence of sin. Wean us from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for May 9th. Uh, the text is from Ephesians 1.3, Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. All the goodness of the past, the present, and the future, Christ bestows upon his people. In the mysterious ages of the past, the Lord Jesus was his Father's first elect, and in his election he gave us an interest, for we were chosen in him from before the foundation of the world. He had from all eternity 
the prerogatives of sonship as his father's only begotten and well-beloved son. And he has, in the riches of his grace, by adoption and regeneration, elevated us to sonship also, so that to us he has given power to become the sons of God. The eternal covenant, based upon suretyship and confirmed by oath, is ours for our strong consolation and security. In the everlasting settlements of predestinating wisdom and omnipotence decree, the eye of the Lord Jesus was ever fixed on us, and we may rest assured that in the whole role of destiny there is not a line which militates against the interests of his redeemed. The great betrothal of the Prince of Glory is ours, for it is to us that he is affianced, as the sacred nuptials shall ere long declare to an assembled universe. The marvelous incarnation of the God of heaven, with all the amazing condescension and humiliation which attended it, is ours. The bloody sweat, the scourge, the cross are ours forever. Whatever blissful consequences flow from perfect obedience, finished atonement, resurrection, ascension, or intercession, all are ours. By his own gift, upon his breastplate he is now wearing our names, and in his authoritative pleadings, at the throne he remembers our persons and pleads our cause his dominion over principalities and powers and his absolute majesty in heaven he employs for the benefit of them who trust in him his high estate is as much at our service as was his condition of abasement he who gave himself for us in the depths of woe and death doth not withdraw the grant now that he is enthroned in the highest heavens all right, now our reading. Okay, we're going to be reading 1 Samuel 5, 6, and 7, uh, the first 21 verses of John 6, uh, Psalm 106, verses 13 through 31, and Proverbs 14, verses 32 and 33. So, um, sorry, let me have a quick drink of water before we roll into our reading. All right, there we go. All right, 1 Samuel 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Then the Ashdodites arose early the next morning, and behold, Dagon, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of Yahweh. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. But they arose early the next morning, and behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of Yahweh, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor all who entered Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Now the hand of Yahweh was glorious against the Ashdodites, and he made them desolate and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. Thus the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, and said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is severe on us and on Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines to them, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they said, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. And they brought the ark of the God of Israel around. Now it happened after they had brought it around that the hand of Yahweh was against the city with very great confusion. And he struck the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent up the ark of God to Ekron. And as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out, saying, 
They have brought the ark of God of Israel around to us to put us and our people to death. They sent, therefore, and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, so that it will not put us and our people to death. For there was a deadly confusion throughout the city. The hand of God was very glorious there. Now the men who did not die were struck, and tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. I'm sorry, were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. 1 Samuel 6 Now the ark of Yahweh had been in the fields of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of Yahweh? Make us know how we shall send it to its place. So they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known in you why his hand is not turned away from you. Then they said, What shall be the guilt offering which we shall return to him? And they said, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you shall make likenesses of your tumors and likenesses of your mice that bring the land to ruin, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will ease his hand from you, your gods, and your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had abused them, did they not allow the people to go, and they went? So now take and make a new cart, and two milch cows on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. And take the ark of Yahweh, and place it on the cart, and put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side. Then send it away that it may go. See if it, see, if it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that smote us. It happened to us by chance. Then the men did so, and took two milch cows, and hitched them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of Yahweh on the cart, as well as the box with the golden mice and the likenesses of their tumors. And the cows took the straightway in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they raised their eyes and saw the ark and were glad to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua the Beth Shemite, and stood there, and a large stone was there, and they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to Yahweh. And the Levites took down the ark of Yahweh and the box that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices that day to Yahweh. So the five lords of the Philistines saw it and returned to Ekron that day. Now these are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned for a guilt offering to Yahweh, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both of fortified cities and of country villages. The large stone on which they set the ark of Yahweh is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua the Bethshemite. Then he struck down some of the men of Bethshemesh, because they had looked into the ark of Yahweh. He struck down of all the people fifty thousand and seventy men, and the people mourned because Yahweh had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before Yahweh, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up from us?
So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath Jarim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the Ark of Yahweh. Come down and take it up to you. 1 Samuel 7 And the men of Kiriath Jarim came and brought the Ark of Yahweh up and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and set apart Eleazar his son as holy in order to keep the Ark of Yahweh. Now it happened from the day when the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim that the time was long, it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after Yahweh. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you are to return to Yahweh with all your heart, then remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and set your hearts toward Yahweh, and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and served Yahweh alone. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to Yahweh for you. And they gathered to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before Yahweh, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against Yahweh. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Then the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, and the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. Then the sons of Israel heard it, and were afraid of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. And Samuel cried out to Yahweh for Israel, and Yahweh answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But Yahweh thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines, and confused them, so that they were defeated before Israel. So the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, and struck them down as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer. And he said, Thus far Yahweh has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more within the border of Israel. And the hand of Yahweh was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. This, thus Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he used to go annually on circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. But his return would be to Ramah, for his house was there. And there he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to Yahweh. John 6, verses 1 through 21. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he was sitting down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where should we buy bread so that these people may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. 
And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces, so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had done, they were saying, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they began to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea was stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about twenty-five or thirty stadia, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. All right, Psalm 106, verse 13 through 31. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness, and put God to the test in the wasteland. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease against their lives. Then they became envious of Moses in the camp, and of Aaron, the Holy One of Yahweh. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan, and covered up the company of Abiram, and a fire burned up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb, and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous deeds in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one stood in the breach before him, to turn away his wrath from eradicating them. Then they despised the pleasant land, they did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of Yahweh. So he swore to them to make them fall in the wilderness, and to make their seed fall among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They then joined themselves to Baal Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their actions, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and interceded, and so the plague was checked, and it was counted to him for righteousness from generation to generation forever. All right, and finally, Proverbs 14, verses 32 and 33. The wicked is thrust down by his own evil, but the righteous take refuge even in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of one who has understanding. But in the midst of fools, it is merely made known. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. Um, I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope this uh, this time and reading continues, like I've said before, continues to saturate you in the word of God, saturate you and I both. Um, I, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Uh, the prayer we're going to do is from Valley Vision is called a minister's prayer. And please understand that uh, we are all called to minister. Okay. We're not necessarily all called to pastor or preach, but we all have a ministry. So this is for you too. So a minister's prayer. Let's pray. Oh, my Lord. Let not my ministry be approved only by men, or merely win the esteem and affections of people, but do the work of grace in their hearts. Call in thy elect, seal and edify the regenerate ones, and command eternal blessings on their souls. 
Save me from self-opinion and self-seeking. Water the hearts of those who hear thy word, that that seeds sown in weakness may be raised in power. Cause me and those that hear me to behold thee here in the light of special faith, and hereafter in the blaze of endless glory. Make my every sermon a means of grace to myself, and help me to experience the power of thy dying love. For thy blood is balm, thy presence bliss, thy smile heaven, thy cross the place where truth and mercy meet. Look upon the doubts and discouragements of my ministry, and keep me from self-importance. I beg pardon for my many sins, omissions, infirmities. As a man, as a minister, command thy blessing on my weak, unworthy labors, and on the message of salvation given. Stay with thy people, and may thy presence be their portion and mine. When I preach to others, let not my words be merely elegant and masterly, my reasonings polished and refined, my performance powerless and tasteless, but may I exalt thee and humble sinners. O Lord of power and grace, all hearts are in thy hands, all events at thy disposal. Set the seal of thy almighty will upon my ministry. Amen. All right. Well, again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, May 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. All right, we're going to get into our Bible study, uh, continuing on in John chapter 8. But let's go ahead and start like we usually do with a prayer from Valley of Vision and then our devotion. Uh, The prayer we're going to use is called A Minister's Evils. A Minister's Evils. Let's pray. Blessed Spirit of God, four evils attend my ministry. The devil treads me down by discouragement and shame arising from coldness and private meditation. Carelessness possesses me from natural dullness and dimness of spirit. Because in the past I have met with success and been highly regarded, so that it does not matter if I have now failed. Infirmities and weakness are mine, from one of spiritual light, life, and power, so that souls have not been helped, and I have not felt, sorry, and I have not felt thee to be near. Lack of success has followed even when I have done my best. But thou hast shown me that the glory of everything that is sanctified to do good is not seen in itself, but in the source of its sanctification. Thus my end in preaching is to know Christ, and impart his truth. My principle in preaching is Christ himself, whom I trust. For in him is fullness of spirit and strength. My comfort in preaching is to do all for him. Help me in my work to grow more humble, to pick something out of all providences to that end, to joy in thee and loathe myself, to keep my life, being, soul, and body only for thee, to carry my heart to thee in love and delight, to see all my grace in thee, coming from thee, to walk with thee thee in endearment. Then whether I succeed or fail, naught matters but thee alone. Amen. Sorry about that. That was a little tough to read. All right. Now our evening devotion. 
the text for it for tonight, it comes from Song of Solomon 7, 11 through 12. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us see if the vine flourishes. The church was about to engage in earnest labor and desired her Lord's company in it. She does not say, I will go, but let us go. It is blessed working when Jesus is at our side. It is the business of God's people to be trimmers of God's vines. Like our first parents, we are put into the garden of the Lord for usefulness. Let us therefore go go forth into the field. Observe that the church, when she is in her right mind and all her many labors, desires to enjoy communion with Christ. Some imagine that they cannot serve Christ actively and yet have fellowship with him. They are mistaken. Doubtless it is very easy to fritter away our inward life and outward exercises and come to complain with the spouse. They made me keeper the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. But there is no reason why this should be the case except our own folly and neglect. Certain is it that a professor may do nothing and yet grow quite as lifeless in spiritual things as those who are most busy. Mary was not praised for sitting still, but for her sitting at Jesus' feet. Even so, Christians are not to be praised for neglecting duties under the pretense of having secret fellowship with Jesus. It is not sitting, but sitting at Jesus' feet, which is commendable. Do not think that activity is in itself an evil. It is a great blessing and a means of grace to us. Paul called it a grace given to him to be allowed to preach, and every form of Christian service may become a personal blessing to those engaged in it. Those who have most fellowship with Christ are not recluses or hermits, who have much time to spare, but indefatigable laborers who are toiling for Jesus, and who in their toil have have him side by side with them, so that they are workers together with God. Let us remember then, in anything we have to do for Jesus, that we can do it and should do it in close communion with him. All right, so... We're going to continue on in our study of the Gospel of John in John chapter 8. And we are covering a section now. It's verses 22 through 30 um, that is uh, covered by the topic, How to Die in Your Sin. So um, let me go ahead and read verse 22 through 30. And actually, I'm going to back up to verse 21 um, through 30 because what we're talking about in verse 22 today is kind of dealt with in verse 20 is or is led into by verse 21 then he said again to them i am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin where i am going you cannot come so the jews were saying surely he will not kill himself since he says where i am going you cannot come and he was saying to them you are from below i am from above you are of this world i am not of this world Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he who will die in your in your sins, I'm sorry. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I am saying to the world. They did not know that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing from myself, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was speaking these things, many believed in him. 
so again, you know, we, we've gone through the proclamation that Jesus makes of being the light of the world. And we went through the parts of it, you know, the area, the assertion, the accusation, his answer to the accusation, and then his announcement there in verse 21, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now we need to remember, he's speaking to the Jewish leadership here. He's speaking to the religious elite of his time. So, Needless to say, Jesus, um, when Jesus makes this final proclamation, it, it kind of shakes them a little bit. Um, but this, this leads to our section that we've been dealing with here. Like I said, how to die in your sin. Um, and again, like I told you, my, my titles and stuff like that, these come directly out of John MacArthur's commentary, New Testament commentary. So, um, I'm not claiming any, any, you know, um, that I created them or anything. I'm, I'm not looking for any praise for that. I use his cause it makes it easier. But again, we're, we're at this point of how to die in your sin. And of course it's like, you read through that section. It's like, what are they, what is he talking about? Well, we got to back up to verse 21. Again, Jesus makes this statement. I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, this is their response to it. And that's why I wanted to look at verse 21 here. This is their response to it. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Okay, so let's stop and think about this. The Jewish leadership has been trying to kill him. They are trying to bring him in and kill him, trying to apprehend him and kill him, yet they turn around and make that kind of that kind of statement surely he will not kill himself since he says where i am going you cannot come again they're they're making a joke that is actually a venomous joke that they're making for a couple of reasons one they know they're trying to kill him so it's kind of like so what you're not going to go kill yourself are you um and at the same time they're they're actually disparaging him um you know, because before, when he made the statement before, they were like, well, what, is he going to go out among the Greek um, or among the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews? And that's not what he was talking about. He was obvious what he was talking about. And that's not what he's talking about here. But again, we, we've got to know something about Jewish society at the time. Um, within the Hebrew faith at the time, um, suicide was decidedly frowned upon. Um, you were considered, um, I believe it was Josephus. He was first century his Jewish historian, um, made very, very clear that you, if, if you committed suicide, if you did harm to yourself to kill yourself, you were going to the blackest, darkest pit of hell. So th that's what they're going. So, so what is he going to go kill himself because he said this? So they're making a joke about it. But what we got to think of is, is who these Pharisees really are. So it's, so it's, you know, the title for today is one of the ways to die in your sin is being self-righteous. So it's like, how are they being self-righteous here? Well, think about it. They've been running around trying to kill him, yet they're mocking him like he's going to go commit suicide. And again, we, we have to, we have to understand, and, and I, I know I've hammered this home. I hope I've hammered it home enough over the last couple of weeks, but I, I'm, and I'm going to try to do it again today. These Pharisees and chief priests 
had turned what God had handed down in the Mosaic Covenant and the Mosaic Law to them into the most heinous, works-based abomination this world has ever seen. They had so twisted it again. The Jewish faith in the first century was a false faith. It was false religion. Okay, don't 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 misunderstand that. It was a false religion. It was not what God had handed them. Were they still were there still some people worshiping under that system that that were truly saved? Sure, just like there was a remnant uh, remnant back when um, Elijah was was around that that some of the priests and whatever had hid some that were still faithful. So there's still a remnant. But the majority of the practicers of the of the Hebrew faith were practicing a false religion, and it was a false religion that had been co- created by these Pharisees and chief priests. And they knew it was a false religion, but they created it anyways because it fit their agenda, it fit their needs. And let's be clear. So, it, and it becomes very, very clear. And we're gonna we're gonna deal with the verses where it's very clear these these gentlemen are called out. It's made very, very clear. And they should have known that there's no way. This self-righteousness comes from people thinking. And so let me explain. I I guess I'm using the word. Let me explain. Someone who is self-righteous is somebody that believes that they are or can do something that makes them worthy for whatever, for whatever gift, for whatever blessing, for, for whatever. In this case, these men are absolutely certain that they are righteous enough to have earned their way into heaven. Let me be clear. There was absolutely nothing that God had told them that had come down to them through the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament, that would make them, that should have given them any 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 inkling that they should believe that. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3, and these are some of my favorite verses, okay? As as negative as they seem, they're some of my favorite. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. Yahweh looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight, anyone who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Altogether, they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Let me be perfectly clear. I don't care who you think is a good person in this world. I don't care if you look in the mirror and go, well, I'm a pretty decent person. If you are comparing yourself against the people around you, you're comparing yourself against the wrong criteria. There's only one criteria we compare ourselves against, and that is God. And you and I compared against God, we are here. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's you and me. We are born in sin. And outside of the grace of God, we die in sin. And we carry out an awful lot of sin along the way. So there is none of us who does good. You can sit there and pat yourself on the back and act like you do, but you're wrong. And I used to. I was one of those people. I thought I was a good person and come to find out how wrong I was. And thank God I did. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own sight. But Yahweh weighs the motive. No matter what we think of ourselves, Yahweh knows the truth. Proverbs 20 verse 9. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Again, this is a question being asked, expecting the answer of no one. 
No one has kept their heart pure. No one is clean from sin. Proverbs 30, verse 12. There is a generation that is clean in its own eyes, yet is not yet it is not washed from its filthiness. That was this generation, this first century generation, first century Palestine, these, these Pharisees and Sadducees. But it's you and me. It's our generation now. It is every generation that is gone in the church. None of us are washed from our filthiness outside of the grace of God, outside of a saving faith in God, which has nothing to do with any works you and I can do. Isaiah 57, 12, I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. The, the, the inference there is that there will never be enough righteousness and deeds to earn you a way into heaven. They will not profit you. Isaiah 64, 5 and 6. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you are angry. Indeed, we have sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind carry us away. Now, I want to clarify something here where it says all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little bit, little bit rough here. He's speaking of like a, a minstrel cloth. Again, making clear that there are no righteous deeds that are worthy enough. And that, that it says, and all of us wither like leaf and our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, carry us away. That is outside of a saving faith in Christ. That was true then, that's true now. But these Jewish leaders, having all that information, that was just in the Old Testament, having all that information, all the information they needed to understand that true faith in God and true salvation came from faith and not works. That there was nothing they could do of themselves. Fact is, uh, what should have been the perfect picture to them of their salvation was God leading them out of Egypt. And God did all of it. He fed them. He provided them water. He maintained their clothing, their shoes. He kept them safe and brought them to the promised land all by himself. They did nothing. What better picture? But either they aren't getting it or they don't want to get it. And the New Testament is clear exactly who these people are. Paul spoke clearly about these folks in Romans 10, verses 2 and 3. For I testify about them. And again, he was saying this in love because he wanted them to be saved. But he said, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Again, they were so sure that they could earn their way into heaven that they would not humble themselves to put themselves under the righteousness of God, humble themselves to come crawling on their knees to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And these were people Paul knew. Paul the apostle, who had been raised as a Pharisee, that's who he's speaking of, people he knew. Paul understood clearly because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight or through the law, comes the 
for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's Romans 3.20. So he, Paul's really clear that only through the law, only the knowledge of sin comes, not justification, not salvation. Even Jesus made clear, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5.20. What Jesus is saying there that to them is there is no level of righteousness that you can achieve that will ever, ever bring you to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus is saying there. And he said that to them. He said that to them. He made it clear. And the Old Testament supports that. Again, the Old Testament verses I read you, they support that. And that only through Christ could we get there. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, so God made G, made Christ, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So basically that's saying God made Christ who, who had no sin at all in himself to be sin on our behalf, to take on our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, that we might take on the righteous, the Christ's righteousness and have that before God. But that's only through Christ. That is the only way, and God set that up. And, and Matthew, uh, Christ in Matthew, Matthew 6, 1, calls out the Pharisees, makes clear who these Pharisees are. Beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Again, saying, if you're running around trying to do all your righteousness, basically performing in public as a performance, doing these deeds, then you have no reward in heaven. You have no salvation. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, um, let's see, here's, here, here it is. I'm sorry. I'm starting back in verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart for that, which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Again, he's saying that all these things, these supposedly quote, righteous acts you're doing to get the approval of men are detestable in the sight of God and will get you no place into the kingdom of heaven. These were the self-righteous. And these were who he was speaking to in verse 21, the verse before. I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Thus our our, our section, how, how, how will you die in sin? How? how to die in your sin. Be self-righteous. He's made clear. These, these people are self-righteous. They are going to die in their sin. He actually says it again in verse 24, and we'll deal with that later on in the week, God willing. But they're going to die in their sin because they are so sure that they can earn their way into heaven that they can't, they won't humble themselves and beg God for forgiveness and beg Christ to save them. They won't, they won't. And so we sit there and we go, you know, okay, so how does that apply to you and me? 
How does that apply to you and me? Well, the sad fact is the majority of the faiths out there, honestly, everything but Reformed Christianity is works-based, is exactly what these Pharisees were doing. They were, they were legalists. They were legalists. You had to carry out all these steps of the law. That was how you earned your way in. Every faith but Reformed Christianity is just like this. The Muslim faith, Buddhist, Hinduism, um, Islam. I actually, I said Muslim faith, so that's that. Mormonism. And I'm going to hurt some feelings, but Roman Catholicism. It is all about penance and, and all the different acts you have to do to earn grace, to try to get into heaven. I am sorry. I love you, my brothers and sisters, but that will not get you into heaven no matter what some priest tells you. The Bible is very, very clear that you cannot earn your way in, that those kind of things will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it. You can't be good enough. You can't be righteous enough. You cannot have that righteousness that Christ has. The only way we are in is when Christ drapes his righteousness over us. And that only comes from us hitting our knees and begging God for forgiveness and humbling ourselves and knowing, and in that humbling, knowing that there is absolutely nothing worthwhile in us, nothing worthy in us, and nothing we can or have or will ever do that can get us into heaven. That only through the love of Christ and the grace of God will we be draped by Christ's righteousness so that we can enter those gates. So that is the only way. That is the only way we can enter the kingdom of heaven. And without that, we will die in our sins. As Jesus was saying to these Pharisees and chief priests, he's saying to us that if we are self-righteous, that is how we will die in our sin. So I would beg you, please, please put that pride aside. Put that self-righteousness aside. And go to Christ on your knees. Go to God on your knees and beg forgiveness so that you can have the the righteousness of Christ. All right, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with our third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners, our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us, look thou upon us and be merciful unto us, convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin, give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand and thy instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, 
that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right. Well, again, brothers and sisters, I love you. I'm really not trying to hurt your feelings. But this has to do with your eternal soul. And if I love you, I have to tell you the truth. And that's the truth. If we run around being self-righteous and trying to earn our way into heaven, we will die in our sins. All right. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I do. Even as negative as that sounds, I do hope you have a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a great evening. God bless. Thank you.